Today, we're bringing real masculinity back because we're in dire need of it. We'll look at some major stories around that subject today, one of which is we'll look at the liver king who just recently dispelled the myth that had us all with our jaws on the ground that he is actually on steroids and HGH. Surprise, surprise. Then we'll also look at a senator, a congresswoman, who was crying over the Respect for Marriage Act and the flack that the left gave her when, boy, I just thought that it was the best thing in the world to show all of your emotions and be expressive emotionally as much as possible. And if guys don't cry, well, then you're just uh, internalizing the patriarchy. Well, we'll look at that. And then finally, we'll look at the new Exodus series that Jordan Peterson and other scholars have been doing on the Daily Wire and one moment that sticks out among them all that really deserves our attention. We'll talk about that and more all today on Indie Thinker. Our show today is sponsored by our friends over at Anchor. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. If you want to start a business, you've got a vision, but you're not sure that you're qualified to do payroll taxes, accounting, bookkeeping, and, and all the other things that come along with starting a business, then you need to outsource some of those tasks to our friends over at Anchor. Not only are they experts, but they also care about the things that you care about. It's money well spent. They will take care of you, and they'll help put legs underneath your vision. They won't just do these tasks that... Maybe you need help with, they will also go above and beyond, go the extra mile, and help you take your business to the next level. They've done it here at IndieThinker, and they can do it for you. But to find out, you need to go to Anchor. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. And when you go over there, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, today we're going to be talking about masculinity because I think we need to bring masculinity back. What we're finding in society today is that victimization is actually taking the place of authentic courage and authentic virtue. Uh, and by victimization, I mean things like this, that people now believe that their identity gives them some type of credibility, right? So now you instantly get street cred if you can say that I'm neurodivergent, non-binary, person of color, and I identify as a pirate ship, whatever. You know. So these things right now are giving people that sense of meaning that they're lacking as the world becomes less and less centered on faith and community and virtue and authentic values. We're finding that we need to try to derive some type of meaning and we're and many people are looking for that meaning in some kind of unique identity that they can create for themselves so that they can feel important and feel special rather than actually doing something meaningful with their life. And this is one of the reasons why we need to bring authentic masculinity back because it is a direct affront to the kind of victimization that creates this sense of meaning from being weak or from being victimized. True masculinity pushes back against that idea and says, actually, you are known by what you do and not just how you how you feel. And we just recently saw victimization kind of in a very prominent way as we saw Brittany Griner being traded for an international arms dealer. This trade just recently took place, for those who don't know. And Victor Bout, who is an international arms dealer and probably responsible for the deaths of thousands, if not tens of thousands of people, if not more, um, and so we we traded Brittany Griner for Victor Bout, who is an international arms dealer, basically because of victimization. We saw Brittany, who is a lesbian person of color and 
a um, athlete in a marginalized league, the WNBA, that gets way less money in views than the NBA because it's incredibly boring and nobody cares about watching it. So, so victimization was on the forefront here, and as a result of it, a horrible deal took place. Now, let me justify that just a little bit. Uh, I, I, I want to just be clear about something. First and foremost, I, I, we've been talking a lot, and it's been in the news a lot, about how Britney should have been brought back home. Now, I agree with this, but not all prisoners should be brought back home. I think this is an important point to make. Some prisoners who commit crimes in other countries deserve to be held accountable in those countries. Now, if there is a sense that the country that they're in is totalitarian in nature and perhaps the crime is not going to fit the punishment or the punishment may not fit the crime, uh, which is more rare, then perhaps Americans should bring that individual back to America and make them be held accountable for their crimes here in America. Now, so I, I think that it's important to to dis- differentiate here. Uh, there are some criminals that need to stay where they're at and some criminals that should be brought back. You shouldn't be able to get away with murder just because you're an American citizen in a foreign country. However, I think it's fair to say that, that that's not Griner. Griner obviously didn't commit murder, but she also committed a very petty crime and was surely going to do more time in prison than she would have done if she was here in America. And this comes within the also the backdrop of us constantly thinking that the American penal system is overrun with criminals when, point in fact, when you compare it to other countries and other nations, we, we have a much more lenient criminal justice system. I digress. But the point is, is that I think Griner should have been brought back, but, but she should not have been brought back at the expense of Paul Wayland, who you may know is a Marine that's being held in Russia and was being charged as a spy. Now, whether or not he really was spying is incredibly debatable, right? Because it's Russia, after all, and you can't really trust anything that they say. Now, if he was spying, sure, okay, um, you know, we can have that conversation, and maybe he should even be tried in America for those crimes. But it's highly suspect that there is any evidence for that crime whatsoever and that Wayland is merely just the real victim at the end of the day. Now, again, I bring this all up within the context not only of victimization but the more broader context of the show that we need to bring masculinity back because what should have happened if we actually cared about being strong in America – which our current president doesn't seem to be that interested in, we would have made sure that we got Griner and Wayland for Victor Bout. If they were serious about getting Victor Bout back, then then it would have been easy to make sure to throw Wayland in the pot and to and to make that deal come to pass. But we weren't interested in a real victory here, in a real win. We were more interested in the victimization points that come with winning back to our country a black lesbian, marginalized, quote, athlete, end quote. Now, this reminds me of something that I just recently experienced because I had an evening with Mike Pompeo and had some opportunities to discuss with him uh, some things. And in the process of that evening where where Mike gave a speech and did some personal Q&A, 
he he reminded us of something that took place during the Trump administration, and that was the release of three prisoners that were in North Korea. Mike Pompeo took a trip out to North Korea, had an uh, interesting time meeting with Kim Jong-un, and toward the end of that meeting, he, re, he retold this story and told us that toward the end of that meeting, he sat down with Kim Jong-un and spoke to a translator, and he said, now we're going to be leaving here in a little bit, and when we're taking off, we'd like to do so with three American citizens that are being held in your prisons. And it was just that. There was no prisoner trade. There was no swap. There was no incentive. There was just this directive. We would like to leave with these three prisoners when we go. Now, he said immediately there was a nervousness in the room. Kim Jong-un started speaking to people, and he didn't seem all too pleased, and he didn't even excuse himself. He just got up and left. Now, Mike Pompeo didn't know what to think about this, but as he was sitting on the tarmac and about to take off, a van races down the tarmac toward a plane, and then out marches three American prisoners, all of which who were Christians and were being held in one way or another for evangelizing or doing something of a Christian nature in North Korea that had got them in prison. Those three prisoners stepped onto the plane, and they were released back into America. Now, see the difference between these two trades here? America was giving nothing in return for these American citizens to come back to, to our country. But of course, in the, the Biden trade, uh, we, we, we gave an international arms dealer for a WNBA player, I hesitate to say, a star. I'm, I'm glad Brittany's back. I wish Paul Whelan was back. But more importantly, the difference between these two trades is that one was done with strength and the other was not. Why is it that we see this happening more and more? This reminds me of a show I did a while back where I talked about something Russell Moore said uh, when he was speaking to a feminist theologian. And he said that a day that he'll never forget is the day where Donald Trump's TMZ tape about grabbing the P word um, was released and then people voted for him. He said he put on his Google Drive or Google Cloud, whatever, that date because it was a date for him that will forever live in infamy. And I'm thinking to myself, not the baptism of your children, not the day you got married, but the day Donald Trump said grab them by the P word on that Billy Bush tape, that's a day that you recorded on your Google Drive. By the way, I think Russell Moore was absolutely lying for the sake of speaking to this feminist, uh, quote-unquote, Christian, kind of like WNBA star. Um, and, and, and I can only hope and pray that this date, just recently, the, the Griner trade, is something that he put down in his Google Drive and something that he'll never forget because this is one of the most profound displays of weakness that we have seen yet in this Biden administration, and we've seen a lot by the way, this is kind of a digression here, but uh, I'm going to put side by side just to show you kind of where we're at as a society today in terms of our presidents. I'm going to put a Reagan uh, speech directly next to a Biden speech, and you tell me if you can tell the difference. Do they mean peace or do they mean we just want to be left in peace? There can be no real peace while one American is dying someplace in the world for the rest of us. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. And it's been said if we lose that war and in so doing lose this way of freedom of ours, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. It's been done 
if you if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to anyway I'm we're going to get a lot done and if we have to if there's complete lockdown and chaos as a consequence of the filibuster then we'll have to go beyond what I'm talking about okay um, hang on uh, sorry oh Ms. Kim. For those of you who are listening, I'm not even going to tell you which one was which, but I bet you you can already tell. I say all of this again to just say this, that what we need more so than ever before in society is we need real men with real courage. Society is feeling the impacts of this lack of masculinity and this lack of real men with real courage. Right now, marriage is in decline. 41% of all marriages end in divorce. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 73% of all third marriages end in divorce. And the United States has the sixth highest divorce rate in the world. Is it any wonder as real men with real courage decline in America that we're seeing people shirk their responsibilities like in marriage? Speaking of the lack of real men and real courage. Lil Nas X just recently said this on Twitter, and it really displays kind of the cultural ethos when it comes to responsibility, masculinity, courage, and specifically marriage. He said this, I feel like weddings are dope, but not marriage. It's time we normalize weddings without the bondage of being with someone for the rest of your life. Yeah, real bondage, those things, morality, responsibility, commitment, and actually being a good person, really just tie you down. See, we're seeing this not just presently, but we're going to continue to see it as our society moves further and further away from a real authentic picture of manhood. And we're seeing it right now in Gen Z. 83% of the silent generation were married by age 37. But in Gen Z, that's looking more like 60% among whites and a staggering 23% of people will be married by age 37 among blacks. I bring all that up to just say this. If we're going to, as a society, truly make a difference, if we're going to, as a society, truly hold together and have any type of perpetuity, then we're going to have to do so with a love for authentic manhood, authentic courage, authentic masculinity, and a belief in authentic virtue. Perhaps we need to do that also within the context of an authentic understanding of the difference between men and women. While women can be courageous too, it is clear that if you are a man in a house with a woman and someone breaks into the house, if you hide under the covers and allow your wife to go take care of the criminal, you are not a man. You are a coward. We all know that there is a distinction between a man and a woman. And so I'll just say this as we move into our stories today. If it means that we have to risk toxic masculinity for the sake of bringing authentic masculinity back, then I say the trade is worth it. Now, I hate toxic masculinity, and toxic masculinity does exist. There are ways men can be abusive, manipulative, evil, and abuse their power, sure. And the risk of masculinity is that we get real men with real courage doing good things for society. And it's worth the risk. So sure, there always has been and always will be toxic men. But there has been and always will be real men 
who want to do authentically courageous things. And we need more of that, as we'll see in our stories today. So in Christianity, not today, we try to provide a Christian perspective on current events. And so um, before we get to some of that, I, I at least want to just acknowledge somebody who is not a Christian, but was on the Babylon Bee and asked if he wanted to commit his life to Christ. But nonetheless, Elon uh, just recently posted this. He said, my pronouns prosecute Fauci. Now, I have to tell you, I find Elon incredibly amusing. I know that some of you who still have been indoctrinated by the mainstream media think he's a white supremacist for some unknown reason and 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 whatever other evil expletive you can think of. Uh, but, I, but I find his Twitter game incredibly amusing. But here he wasn't only just joking. He was actually being sincere. And he's alluding to the fact that there may be some some information about Fauci coming up in some future Twitter dumps. Um, and, and he said this in the comment section, but also in the comment section, he got some, some heat from a one Scott yeah. Kelly. And he said this, Elon, please don't mock and promote hate toward already marginalized and at-risk of violence members of the hashtag LGBTQ community. Astronaut Scott Kelly, the twin brother of Senator Mark Kelly, responded to Musk's tweet, they are real people with real feelings. Furthermore, Dr. Fauci is a dedicated public servant whose sole motivation was saving lives. Can you just feel the pearl clutching? You can, you can almost hear it through the tweet. Well, Elon uh, appropriately responded back to Kelly by saying this. I strongly disagree. Forcing your pronouns upon others when they didn't ask and implicitly ostracizing those who don't is neither good nor kind to anyone. Amen, brother. As for Fauci, he lied to Congress and funded gain-of-function research that killed millions of people. Not awesome, in my opinion. Far be it for me to appreciate a good slam dunk, but uh, that was one. Now, I, I look at this as... A real move of courage and something that real men will do is to stand up for what they say and back up what they say, even if people might disagree with it. Um, unfortunately, that didn't happen in the, the bigger story that I wanted to mention at the front, which is the liver king, the fitness guru, that tribal man who wanted to bring us all back to an understanding of what real masculinity looked like, just recently exposed that he was actually on HGH and steroids. Surprise, surprise, because the physique that the man had obviously, clearly did not come from merely working out and constantly chewing on raw liver. So uh, he, he was exposed in a way that was so obvious that he had to admit that he was taking steroids and has been taking them for some time. And uh, so that just that story just recently broke. But before we get to the exposure of that, I, I want to get to the consistent denial that that he was not taking HGH and that this was all natural. And if you just do everything that the liver king tells you to do, then you will be as fit and as strong as he is. So here's a supercut of all the multiple times this man has denied being on on performance enhancing drugs. So here they are. Can they get a build like yours without taking them? So I want to set the record straight. I want to expand and tell you why it's possible. A, a year ago, maybe two years ago, it was all about like PEDs and steroids, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and then, you know, same question, same answer. I didn't touch the stuff, don't touch the stuff, right? Joe Rogan criticized you. Joe Rogan's a big person. 
in yeah. terms of his platform is yeah. big. How did that feel when he said he alluded that you're on steroids or something like that? Yeah, number one, I don't do it. What is the Liver King's response to this claim that the you Liver know, King saw... is hormonally improved by science? The, the question has always been, do you take steroids? Do you take PEDs? The answer to that is no. I've always told the truth. I still tell the truth. So I think when people see someone with your, with your physique, uh, they just, they look at it and they think there's something going on here. There's gear, there's steroids, there's performance enhancing drugs. Talk to us about, you know, whether you use performance enhancing drugs or steroids or anything to get this physique. Listen, I love this question. I've been getting this question since high school and it's done more to lift the Liver King brand and message than any other question. So I hope you asking it now continues to do the same. The short answer is no. I don't touch the stuff. If you ever Google uh, Liver King's blood work, we had a legitimate doctor come on. We did like a blood work reveal. That was fun. Uh, but then the accusations never stopped. So I'm like, okay. Well, I assumed you were on steroids. I was talking to some, one, one of your guys and I was like, yeah, he's, he's on steroids, right? Like people don't look like that. He's like, no, he's not. And I, no, I think. Now, of course, as I already alluded to, this guy is a bald-faced liar and consistently lied over and over and over again. And I might suggest that you feel this way, but I know I certainly do, that it still amazes me to a degree when I see people like Liver King and people like Lance Armstrong and others who keep such a straight face and are actually relatively good liars. Now, Liver King is a bad liar because everybody knew he was lying because the evidence is right in front of your face when you see the guy. Uh, what Joe Rogan said about him is, is absolutely right. Here's Joe saying that. Parts and it just looks weird. He's got a Filled with steroids is what he's got. <laughs> yeah, that, he should have a big that plate is not, of steroids next to it. That is not a natural body. Of course it's not. That guy is shooting all kinds of into his system to achieve that kind of physique. So it was clear the guy was on, was on drugs. But the reason that I bring this up in the context of real manhood is because real men don't lie. They tell the truth. This guy was a poser and a charlatan from the very beginning. And so the first thing I'll say about it is I can't blame him per se. If you can make big bank and people are foolish enough to follow you down the primrose path, there's something about capitalism that makes way for people who want to spend their money to feel good about themselves, even if they're being lied to. It's this kind of free will argument. I don't like it, but, but I almost can't blame a man that is amoral or immoral doing this kind of thing. And treating people as suckers because some people want to be suckers because it makes them feel good. Now, we should blame him because at the end of the day, he was lying and he is a charlatan and he was selling himself. And true charlatanism looks like this. A charlatan is somebody who supposes that they have a secret kind of wisdom or that they have some deep, deep knowledge that they need to impart to other people that others don't know. And the reason we can blame the liver king for what just took place and we should be mad at him is because he consistently sold himself. See, some people are saying, oh, well, he's on steroids, but so what? I mean, he still had to work hard. He still had to build his empire. He still had to do what very few other people could do that had nothing to do with steroids. So just the fact that he's using steroids, is it, is it that big of a deal? Well, yeah, when you're selling yourself and what you're saying about yourself is a total lie, then it is a big deal. But this sets the stage for something bigger, I think, which is that consistently in society, as we move away from traditional roles, we are elevating the trendy over tradition. What we should be placing our trust in is things that are a little less sexy, a little less splashy, 
but just things that we've known, time-tested tradition in terms of diet and what actually works and in terms of what actually makes an individual healthy, which is none of the things the Liver King was, was selling. Sure, the meats that he was uh, suggesting, getting good sleep and, um, and working out, all of those things are great, but, but it came along with a whole bunch of lies to try to, to market himself. And it reminds me that the issues that I already illustrated with, with marriage are an indication of this very thing, that we love the trendy and we're attracted to the trendy, but the traditional is, is what really ultimately matters at the end of the day. And so I'll just say this, real masculinity isn't about trends, and it isn't about selling an individual. It's about standing by time-tested truths that are nothing, that have nothing to do with you, that aren't about you. See, the person who has real courage is willing to distance themselves from their platform in order to tell the truth. But that's not what the Liver King was willing to do. Sure, build a platform, but build it on the truth. Have the courage to stand up for what is right. Put some marketing in there and all of that stuff, but have the courage to stand up for what is right. And that's what real masculinity looks like. Very many people have fallen for this false view of masculinity that Liver King and others have been portraying because they've elevated the trendy over the traditional. And that, of course, is happening in our next story as we look at the Respect for Marriage Act. Just recently, Senator Hartzler from Missouri was giving a speech in the House to try to explain her feelings about the Respect for Marriage Act. The Respect for Marriage Act, of course, is a new law that passed the Senate and then just passed the House that gives a kind of new federal definition to homosexual marriage and non-traditional marriage, which could also just be called marriage. In the process, it violates the civil rights and the religious liberties of people, and, uh, and I would argue, as importantly, the right of uh, association and who you associate with. It violates all of those things. And so Senator Hartzler was genuinely moved emotionally as a result of all these things. And so I wanted to show you her response on the, the House floor as she's giving this speech. So check this out. I'll tell you my priority. Protect religious liberty. Protect people of faith. And protect Americans who believe in the true meaning of marriage. I hope and pray that my colleagues will find the courage to join me in opposing this misguided and this dangerous bill. I yield back. Now, after this, Senator Hartzler received a lot of shade from people online for this emotional display. But the problem with this that I, that I think is really interesting to point out is that we've been told for multiple generations now, certainly the last generation as I was growing up, we've been told that we need to make sure that boys feel okay crying and that the worst thing a parent can tell a boy is to stop crying, to get up and brush the dirt off your leg. It didn't, it didn't hurt that bad. It couldn't have. A similar thing just happened, by the way, with Jordan Peterson. He he was crying openly on Piers Morgan, and he got a lot of heat and and a lot of people saying, "Oh, that's just fake tears." As he was talking about the the men that he has the opportunity to speak to, people who are probably incels and disaffected young men, and he was thinking about their plight, and it brought him to tears. And a lot of people gave him flack for that. Now, this comes within the context of leftists consistently telling us that men should be able to cry. But now here we have a woman 
crying before everybody, and because of what she's crying about, of course the left wants to go and attack her. And I'll just say that I somewhat agree with this idea of being willing to show emotion openly. I agree it takes a lot of strength to stand up and fight for what you believe in. And so I understand why this woman was overcome with emotion. And in fact, she should have been. When you actually think about the things that are going on in the world and the importance marriage plays within the context of a society, boy, you, you almost think that if you're not crying, then you've numbed your conscience and numbed your mind so deeply that you really don't understand what is at stake with what just took place. So I understand being overcome with emotion. She should have been. What's sad is that I haven't really heard any strong men come out especially politicians in particular, because I have heard some men talk about this within the commentator space, but, but I haven't heard any strong political voices cry out passionately against this Respect for Marriage Act. Because if we had true masculine men who were willing to take a stand for the things that really matter, they would, they would be showing some disdain for what just took place. So I say crying for the right things should be applauded. Now, this comes within the context of a social media world where you find people crying about things that don't matter all the time. People who are keyboard warriors who want to say, I'm going to say something and I don't care if it uh, gets me uh, canceled or I don't care if people don't like what I have to say, but I'm going to keep on preaching this truth. And then when the person tells you what they have to believe in, you're like, seriously? I mean, they're saying things that divide families, divide friendships, and are just pointless at the end of the day. It makes you want to say, like, there's still starving people in the world, right? And this is the thing that you want to stand up for? No, we need to cry for the right things. But I can't help but wonder if we don't even know what the right things are anymore. How about we care for what really matters? And we take a stand for the things that really make a difference. And we take a stand for things like authentic masculinity, real dads, real fathers doing their job and being the men that they've been called to be. And in, in lieu of that, we'll have women consistently standing up and being strong where men should have been. And that brings us to our final story where Jonathan Pajot was just recently on a series about Exodus that the Daily Wire put on. Now, the Daily Wire is not pure flicks. They're not some Christian organization, although many of the individuals are Christian, excluding Ben, who is one of the founding members of the Daily Wire and is not a Christian. But they're willing to bravely put out this kind of content because it's thoughtful, it's intriguing, and it's important. And I'll double down on this idea that that I that I don't think this Exodus kind of series that they did is Christian in nature or even Jewish in nature because the person leading it is Jordan Peterson, who is neither Jewish nor nor Christian. Now, he's as close to a um, Christian as an agnostic can be, but um, but but not a Christian. And, and, it, and it kind of comes out in, in the series, but he is good friends with Jonathan Peugeot. And I found that Jonathan has some really interesting things to say. And as a Christian, Jonathan is very outspoken and is interested in religious art and iconography and all those kind of things. And so a very deeply thoughtful man in terms of, of Christianity. Now, the series is great overall, but Jonathan Peugeot um, said something in the Exodus series that I think shines out among all the rest of it. So I wanted to share that with you as as we kind of close out today. So here's that. I just I want to pick up on what you said, Dennis, a little before, and I I want to propose that there there might be a very important narrative reason why the the midwives are are, are Hebrew in this case. And 
The reason, it, and it, I think it's a good lesson for us today, which is that the tyrant is empowering women to kill their men. That is what the tyrant is doing. Mm -hmm. And he's doing it in order to feminize the Hebrews. And, uh, and, I, and, I think, and, and, and I think that... that no wonder you get in trouble all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I, think that, I think that it's important. And the reason why they won't do it is because they fear God, is because they're able to see beyond the power that the Pharaoh is handing them at this moment. And I think that when we think that that couldn't happen, like in a people, it's like, look around you. We're seeing that it happen before. Right? Now, not only is that incredibly funny, as you just saw in the clip, and the guy's laughing about that around the room, but, but it's also incredibly interesting because I'd never quite thought about it that way before, that the best way to destroy a society, a culture, is to, is to feminize it. Um, and, that, and that is not to disparage the feminine as much as it is to say that the masculine needs to, to sometimes counteract and to coexist with the feminine, that you cannot get rid of the masculine and exalt the feminine and expect that not to have repercussions. And the way that this took place, as you saw in Exodus, is through the death of the male children that were being born. This was Pharaoh's idea to feminize the culture by killing all the men and breeding out, uh, breeding out Hebrews from, from among them. Now, what's interesting is, is that you can see this very kind of thing outside of the murder side, but, but in terms of kind of like the the destruction of masculinity through things like ideology. So we hear about internalizing the patriarchy and how hierarchy is evil. All forms of hierarchy and, and all forms of patriarchy are evil. Um, and, and how totalitarianism is all done by men and how men are all the, uh, the serial killers and men are the ones who are mass shooters and all of these things. So, so we need to destroy the patriarchy because masculinity is the real problem here. And we just had James Cameron come out and tell us that testosterone must be destroyed. Um, I, I bet he's probably not taking puberty blockers though, uh, because I think we're a little far gone for that, James. Suffice to say, the villainization of the masculine is also a way that you can terminate the masculine in a society. And, and I thought Jonathan's comments there were absolutely right on and deserve our attention. The reason I think it's important is because as we diminish the, the masculine, we will find that society is easier to dominate. I'll get to that in just a moment. But this, I think, is ultimately what's behind second wave feminism and third wave feminism. See, first wave feminism was all about women getting the right to vote. It was about women's suffrage, right? It was about equality. See, second wave feminism and third wave feminism was not about equality. It was about a feminization. It was about making men women and women men. It was about this destroying all sexual barriers and sexual distinctions. It was, a, it was about more than just making sure that a woman could go to work and that she didn't have to stay home. It was about making sure that a woman believed that she could do everything a man could do, including peeing standing up. Try that sometime. And this reminds me of a quote from Wilhelm Reich, who said this, that the family is the totalitarian state in miniature, right? So a mother and a father and their kids, that's the totalitarian state in miniature. Ultimately, what he's saying, and by the way, I think this is charitable, is just simply this, that any structure in society that demands adherence or creates a sense of understanding of reality deserves to be destroyed. 
Because Wilhelm Reich, like many in second wave and third wave feminists, are actually just Marxists at the end of the day. And ultimately, what they're after is the destruction of society. And they knew one of the ways that you can destroy society is by destroying the family. But you can also destroy society by destroying manhood and, and taking away the people who are the strongest in this scenario, uh, the, the ones who are supposed to be the most courageous in this scenario. And by effeminizing those men, by creating a, a society of beta males, this society will become much more docile and much more easy to control. This is exactly what Pharaoh was after in the Exodus. And I can't help but wonder if that's what people are after in the present because weak men are a necessary prerequisite for a dominated society. And if we have those men that are willing to take a stand, then they become the greatest threat to totalitarians. So in fact, Wilhelm Reich's statement is actually the exact opposite of true. Well-rounded and well-adjusted kids who have been in a family with a mom and a dad are typically the ones who are the greatest assets to society and the greatest stalwarts and stopgaps from true totalitarianism. So as G.K. Chesterton said, if you see a fence, you may want to ask why it's there before you remove it, because if you start tearing it down, you'll start to realize the hard way, slowly but surely, why it was there in the first place. And this is true of masculinity. If we continue to tear it down as a society, we're going to figure out the hard way, why real, authentic, courageous men are necessary. So I hope that's you, or if you've got one in your home, encourage him. We need more men. We need more godly men. We need more courageous men. All right, guys, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, go with God.